welcome to the I Am A Health Visitor podcast. My name's Amy. And I'm Jenny. And today we're going to be doing our first podcast on sleep, aren't we? We're hoping this is a topic we're going to come back to. Um, yes, yes. So we're looking at the um, at safe sleep uh, on this one because it was the Lullaby Trust Safe Sleep Week between the 12th and the 18th of March. Yes. Um, so worth keeping out. There's going to be lots of stuff um, about safe sleep in the coming week or so. Yeah. Um, and it's something which is obviously so important to us. Um, it's something which often comes up and something which I find it really surprising there's still a lot of controversy around what advice we should be giving, um, what advice we're allowed to give and things. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I noticed that, yeah, I've seen recently on um, sort of social media professional groups and things um, talk about, you know, not giving advice on co-sleep, being told that you, you're not allowed to give advice on co-sleeping yeah <laughs> and there seems to be some confusion with what the the guidelines are from places like the lullaby trust and things yeah um so i thought it's definitely worth looking at from that point of view because actually the lullaby trust although they 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 don't talk about sort of recommending um co-sleeping no they course. talk that they feel that their their um, policy is always the safest place for a baby is in the parents room but in their own Moses basket or cot. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do understand actually safe co-sleeping is better than sleeping on a sofa with the baby, sleeping on a chair. And that actually, mm. you know, I think that, yeah, with the nice, um, rec- the, ni- the nice um, guidelines actually recognise that over sort of, what is it, a third or two thirds of parents do yeah. co-sleep at some point or another with yeah. the child. Yeah. That actually, you know, these all signpost us to needing to actually give that advice on on safe co-sleeping as well as safe cot sleeping and things. Um, there is a lovely um, sort of infogram. You know how much I love an infogram yeah. about co-sleeping and SIDS on the UNICEF website. Yeah. Um, and in fact, yes, actually it's over half looking at their statistics. So they, they say 700,000 babies are born each year and 350,000 yes. babies will have slept with an ad, in an adult bed with one or both parents by three months, yeah. whether intended to or not. Which actually um, I wasn't surprised by that statistic. That sounded no. about right to me as a health yeah. visitor. I think people often, you know, if people tell me, Oh no, totally all in all in the cot. You know that's unusual. I think most people say she won't settle yeah. in her cot, or he just won't sleep on his own. He wants to be on me, or exactly. I mean, they do say if if no baby co-slept in hazardous situations, they could reduce co-sleeping deaths by or SIDS deaths by nearly ninety percent. Yeah. Um, because you know, is a yeah the, the risk of SIDS for all babies in the UK is, or in England and Wales, sorry, is one in 3,650, uh-huh. which is so low now. I mean, even going back to 2003, mm. there were sort of 315 um, SIDS deaths in that year. Mm. In 2015, there were only 191. Mm. So there is this real sort of downward thing. So obviously the message, you know, there are messages getting out there. Parents are better educated about this. Yes. 
it's just maintaining that and definitely um, the back to sleep campaign I think really helped to reduce yeah, those numbers yeah. obviously one is a horrific tragedy um every single one of them is is awful to think about just the yeah. most horrendous thing that can happen um but, I, um, I was surprised as... by the 90% of them died in, in hazardous situations. Yeah. So the yeah. 90% of to... those yeah. could have been so... preventable with better advice. Yeah, and so the statistics mean that yeah, one in 365, um, one in 3,750 risk for all babies. Um, the risk when they're co-sleeping on the sofa is one in 199. And yeah. the same as co-sleeping after consuming drugs or alcohol. Now, I'm guessing it's the parents consuming the drugs and alcohol, <laughs> not the baby. Um, but again... There we that, go. We know, weren't expecting the joke risk. in this episode. <laughs> well, you know, um, and then the risk of co-sleeping with a regular smoker is one in 900. Yeah. Um, it's balmy when you look at it. And, I mean, this document as well, I said it's UNICEF one. Um, but it is actually supported by um, Infant Sleep Information Source and the uh, the Lullaby Trust. Yes, it's a um, They've worked together on it, haven't they, by the looks yeah. of it? Yeah. And it is that really useful thing as well of, you know, talking about, um, talking about you know, it being normal for young babies to wake up frequently in the night and, you know, not modifiable. They're not capable of learning to sleep. It is their, their biologically programmed to have this and to need this. And yeah. to talk a bit more about safe co, you know, safe co sleeping and how this can help with the breastfeeding and things as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's actually really thorough. It's a really, really lovely document. It's got a lot of um, sort of the references all there as well to read up for further things as yeah. well. Um, and it's quite interesting. So I mean, the other thing that I I did in preparation for this was have a look at some recent research on um, safe sleep advice. And, yes, yeah. um, you know, I'm always a fan of how um, how well parents take on the messages. Mm. And um, there's a very interesting article I found, uh, which was published last August in the Archives of Disease in Childhood. Okay. Um, it was by P. all, And obviously, as ever, the link will be in the blab. Yeah. The paper called Mother's Knowledge and Attitudes to Sudden Infant Death Syndrome Risk Reduction Messages. Okay. Uh, results from a UK survey. Now, very interestingly, um, they used um, health visitor-led baby clinics to recruit. Okay. Um, so they recruited, I think it was out of 432 mothers they approached, they Fabulous. managed to engage 400 in Good a face-to-face -face survey. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's that thing, it, the face-to-face -face survey thing. It's far more difficult to say no to a lovely smiley researcher yeah. <laughs> face to face than it is to ignore an email or a letter through the post and things. Yeah, because they've got um, good numbers there, that's good. Yeah. yeah, and they did this down in Bristol and they did the survey in several areas and many of these were areas that were um, quite high rates of deprivation. So okay. most were um, in the top 25% um, indices of deprivation okay. with many having areas that went into the, the top 1% so they were looking at the particularly vulnerable group. That's interesting. I mean yeah. these are a group which I mean I think I jotted down the statistics that they were um, yeah 42% of SIDS 
could be predicted to this group, which actually represents only 8% of the population. Oh, goodness. And so they were really... That's a shocking you know, it's a, statistic, isn't it? Indeed, indeed. And really important, these are the guys who we really need these messages to get out to. Yeah. Um, so the survey was two parts. The, the first question was um, three things, if they could name three things that mm. they can do to help reduce SIDS. Okay. Um, and actually sort of testing them outright on their knowledge, yeah. which I think is really interesting because I think it's something which even I as a parent would struggle because it, it, it's that immediate thing where you only think of the things that are relevant to yourself. Yeah. So if, if I as a parent was asked, oh, what, what do you do to reduce SIDS with your babies? I, I would be a bit up because I don't smoke, I don't drink a huge amount, I don't take any medication. So those wouldn't even immediately spring to my mind. I'd be okay, looking more for the, whereas those are kind of for people who are aware or, or are involved in those sorts of activities, they might, that might be a bit more on their radar. Um, yeah, because sure, it's just I see not, what yeah, you're saying. I'd, I'd be there thinking, oh yeah, on the back, foot at the back, foot at the um, bottom, bottom feet of the at the bottom of the cart. You know, no loose blankets, no yeah. bumper. Those would be the things that would be springing to mind. Yeah. Um, they then tested them. They gave them 14 statements and asked them to t- say if these were true or false. And okay. these were, interestingly, fell into three different categories. Uh, is this going to be my quiz? You told me there it was a is. quiz. Yes, I did give you the so heads I haven't up, didn't read I? this. So this is real life no. um, responses. I'm slightly nervous that I'm going to get them all wrong. But oh, I don't think you will. I don't think you will. You will kind of go, oh yeah. But interestingly, <laughs> they were so they were they were sort of asked. Well, I say true or false. They actually disagree or agree. Okay, so you and can there were play those along that were. This, can you? Oh. There were those. Yeah, there were those that were accurate. Those that were, oh, not unsafe, but not recommended. And those that weren't recommended, those that were unsafe. So, yeah, so shall we do the quiz now? Yeah, And then let's we can go. talk a bit more about the results. Please feel so, free to listen in and play along. Okay. If you're in your car. So, if a baby has a high temperature, should they be wrapped up in extra blankets to keep warm? No. Right. Is it okay to occasionally sleep on a sofa or an armchair with a baby? No. It's always safer in a bed. There we go. If a mother has drunk alcohol, should uh, she should never bring the baby into her bed for sleep. If she's drunk alcohol, she should never bring the baby. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's okay to put babies on their tummies for sleep. No. <laughs> Don't put them on their tummy. Yeah. If a baby is born premature or low birth weight, a mother should not bring the baby into her bed for sleep. Yes, they're much higher risk if they're prem prem babies. Um, babies should always be put down on to sleep on their backs. Yeah. Nobody should smoke near a baby. Yeah. It's okay to put babies on their side for sleep. No. Safest babies on their need. Back. Yeah. Babies need to sleep in a room on their own for the first six months. No. In in next in the same room as mum. Soft mattresses are safer for babies to sleep on than firm ones. No, firm mattresses are better, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, good. <laughs> breast, 
Breastfeeding is best for babies. Yeah. If a mother smokes, she should not bring her baby into bed for sleep. Yeah. It's a good idea to tuck baby's blankets in tightly for sleep. Yeah. So they don't have loose blankets going over their head. Yeah. If a pregnant woman smokes, she should not quit until the baby is born. If a pregnant woman... No, that's not right. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, interesting phrase or something. Well done. Amy, I'm happy to continue doing this podcast with you. Um, because you did get those right. So. Well, that's good to know. For you. That's lucky. If I'd got them wrong, would would this be the end of I Am A Health it, it could be. It could have been. <laughs> Go yeah. home, Amy. You've yeah. been replaced. <laughs> so um, so the survey survey results um, found that on the first part of it, the, the asking for three or more unprompted yeah. ways, to, uh, ways to reduce SIDS risk, um, 6.3% couldn't think of any. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. 10.5% thought of one. Okay. 29% thought of two. And 54% thought of three or more. Okay, so half half of people could so give you over three. Half of, yeah, okay. over half could give you three or more. Okay. And actually, you know, That's not nearly over 80% could give at least two. Yeah, Which, so that's, that's if you think good, even if it? that even if that's back to sleep and not making them too hot, brilliant. Yeah. Um, of that group that got two or more, that eighty percent or more, eighty five percent of those were low risk. Only fifty four percent of the high risk families were in that group. I see. Okay. So again, it indicates it's, it's that issue with getting that. Yeah, and okay. um, most popular answers were about sleep position. Yes, yeah, so back um, to sleep, yeah. So 91% agreed they should be on the back. But on the statements, 49.8% thought sleeping on the side would be okay too. Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, 99.8% agreed not smoking near baby was good. Okay. But there was, again, some disagreement or some confusion about, and I know it. you, you took a moment as well about that, the pregnant woman smoking shouldn't quit until the baby was born yeah. statement. So actually a lot of the high risk group agreed with that statement. Okay. Um, now, I mean, it's one of those things you sometimes wonder, because I mean, even we, and I know when I read it myself, the way it's written, you're a yeah, little bit hard like, to know whether uh, that's what, because of eh? the phrasing. Exactly. And obviously they have to be careful. They have to be consistency in how they phrase these things across. So you don't quite know. Yes, it's hard to know whether that was the phrasing or whether it was the the, um, actual not understanding that and actually genuinely thinking that it would be better to wait. And interestingly, there was some, although they, they said it wasn't statistically significant, there was some correlation between, um, the high risk group and them feeling that it was less likely to be an issue co-sleeping if you smoked um so Sorry, again, i don't quite understand that so there so was there was correlation what yeah so there was a correlation between being in the high risk group yeah and not seeing smoking as a barrier to co-sleeping okay so although they said it wasn't statistically significant 
it, could it be was suggested. still noteworthy because actually that was that's a particular group where you'll you know that message maybe isn't coming through as well yeah okay although they the high-risk group generally were did seem to be more averse to co-sleeping um they, really? they seem to be less likely to consider co-sleeping which again is a bit of a worry because then you get into this risk where you then do the the sort of it's done without considering it yeah if you're very very anti-co-sleeping and you have that rough night where the baby just will not settle if you've been quite blinkered yeah if you've been blinkered and not taken in any advice about how to co-sleep safely Mm. then you might well be the one who falls asleep on the sofa who lets the baby sleep in the car seat who has the baby in bed but in the middle and we're under the duvet and it's it's kind of it's a concern it's a big concern um interestingly as well the the average age of the the group um question so the average age of the mothers was 28 and they um talked about how the the back to sleep and not too hot campaigns are 25 years old now um and so actually there is a a worry that there's some uh, a degree of complacency against uh, a around mums um these days because they're possibly not so aware of all the publicity that there was around the back, back to sleep, sleep campaign yeah. around the high profile cases like Anne diamond that really brought it to prominence yeah sure um and that actually they're just it, it it's that thing of yeah there's a risk that they might be hearing this advice and just thinking oh blimey blah 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 we're on about it again yeah and not really understanding the full implications because again it is so much rarer now yes it yeah. is it's nowhere near as well i mean i know there are cases that you you see in the papers occasionally but the reason that those cases are making it into the national papers it's is because, because it's so unusual it's a rarity mm, um thank goodness and so there is that thing of needing to work out you know what there is still a need and because the the article does also state the onus are you know who is it that gives this you know where do parents get this safe sleep advice Mm. and it is only ourselves as health visitors and midwives Mm. who give it Mm. there is no other source of regular source of safe sleep information that Mm. parents are going to get and obviously between that a lot of the midwifery contacts are in clinics it's very rare for a midwife to come to the house so we mm. are actually often the only professionals who visit the home who mm. have the opportunity mm. to really um, put in their own home home circumstances, do that thing of yeah. where is baby sleeping in the day? What are they sleeping in? How are you managing at night? You know, yeah. and make you know making those points to them. Yeah, um, I think tailoring the advice is often what health visitors you know sort of pride themselves in and and are particularly good at and we know that tailored advice is definitely the best way to give any kind of advice and I think with sleep that's really helpful and quite often I've you know we were discussing this at work actually a few days ago and we were saying about how the recently there's been a request by the commissioners or it's been one of our KPIs to actually see where the baby is sleeping. Yeah. Um, 
which a lot of health visitors felt very uncomfortable with, you know, sort yes. of in, inspecting the sleeping area. Exactly. Um, and that, that is something that sits very badly, I think, with people. Um, yeah. And I agree that it shouldn't be that you have to, you know, insist on seeing the baby's sleeping area. Sometimes when you have a conversation with parents, you are asking them just openly and having a, a conversation um, rather than quizzing them and, and you know, yeah. judging people. Um, just having that open conversation. Quite often parents will say to you, oh, actually, do you want to have a look? Um, exactly. I'd quite like to ask you about his cot or you yeah. know, this mattress, yeah. is that okay? And would you yeah. just check to see? And And quite often then you have that opportunity to be able to actually yeah. have a really honest conversation with them that's the very tailored to their circumstances or if you put the pillow there and you moved the baby's blanket to this part then that would be safer and that would yes. be less hot yeah and, you know yeah actually making it really personalized and also it's that thing as well of you know making sure and hopefully i would hope in years to come the I keep rattling about the antenatal visits, but again, it's something where I think parents are a lot more receptive to this as well in the antenatal period, um, mm. and more receptive at least to reading up on it as well. Because partly because they've got a bit more chance to actually yeah, consider yeah. it. It's not that whole oh my god, the baby's here already and they're really unsettled. What do we do? Yes, absolutely. it's that chance to plan that ideally to get in there before they've bought things and be able to guide them a bit on what to buy and what not to waste their money on and things yeah um it's um it's a tricky one and like i said there's been you know there, there is still conversations going on around sort of with health visitors about whether they are even allowed to to talk about co-sleeping yeah and it's but I think that's that more of... dangerous is not talking about it, really. Exactly. It's more exactly. dangerous to just put a blanket, no, never do that, that's awful. Yeah. That's more yeah. dangerous because we know families are still going to do it. So it's exactly. much better to do it in the knowledge of how to do it safely. Yeah, yeah. Rather than just completely, you know, yeah. draconian, and no, just... never do that. That's not I think something that came out in the... Yeah. Managing and it. like I said, something that came out in the group yesterday was a fear that seemed to be coming from the trust that they mm. worked in I, um that actually what happens if if a health visitor talks about safe co-sleeping and the baby then di dies from SIDS while co-sleeping yeah would that health visitor be held to account and I was sh so shocked by that because it's like yeah surely there is with everything we we advise we we are advising of risks we are offering guidance yeah but we understand that we cannot make parents do as we're we're well, suggesting and advising we can only offer them that information for them to take on board and if well, anything did happen i think we need to be confident that actually the 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 it would be, you know, the parents were there. If the parents had had the information, we can't... And also we, we... that sometimes freak accidents do happen. You know, yeah. very occasionally you have uh, Sid's death even if everything has gone right. Oh, Christ, And, yes. you know, that yeah. happens with every piece of advice we give. You know, yeah. we give advice on weaning and yeah. we give advice on, you know, the gag reflex. But yeah. if a child choked on their food, that wouldn't mean the advice you'd given them was wrong. Exactly. You know, it's not, exactly. It's not about blaming the health professional or the you parent. Know, 
It's yeah. about sometimes terrible things happen. And as a team, we can work together to make those things less likely. Yeah. And these are the ways that but, you can do that. But, you know, I um, I really saw it as well as indicative of the uh, the political climate that we're in at the moment mm. and how undervalued as health visitors we feel, mm. how threatened we feel, mm. um, it, yeah, how secure we are in our jobs and things. Mm. And it, I think there is that bit of a feeling that there's that there are is an element of us being on watch yeah. and that there is almost a bit of a tripwire feeling of you know one thing goes wrong and that's it they'll just say well no we don't need you at all yeah um and there's a worry so far from the truth it is far from the truth yeah it is um and I think it can feel very true but we have to remember that all we can do is do the best we can for the children and families that we work with and that's what I'm sure every health is to who's listening to this is, is doing um it would be really interesting as well to know, you know, for our, our listeners is, you know, how do you talk about sleep? Yeah. Um, it would be really, we do want to come back to this again. We know it is a really tricky um, sort of, what's it, a tricky uh, subject to tackle. Yeah. Because I think there are many, you know, there's many different ways to, to come at this from. Yeah. And, you know, tell us, you know, what do you do? The, the, it's interesting, it's the, um, the, the Pisa et al. article that I've mentioned mm. um, does talk about, you know, this targeted approach needed and need to look at different approaches, but doesn't, you know, as it doesn't recommend it leaves it there. You know, it'd be really good to hear if anyone, any of our listeners have um, particular ways that they give their sleep advice or they tailor sleep advice to particular groups um it would be really useful to to know and to hear yeah um and really lovely to be able to share more widely yeah um i think if we get enough responses what we'd really like to do um is do another episode on safe sleep where we share some of your experiences and we can read out some of those responses that we've had so if you're listening to this and you're thinking well do you know what I say this particular phrase and that seems to work really well or conversely I had this experience and actually it didn't go particularly well we're happy to share those experiences and all learn from each other I think that would be a really good place to start yeah I mean it's one of those things where um it's been really useful seeing a lot of stuff about the sleep positioners and things recently sleep and it's that position the sleep positioners you know like cocoon babies and oh i see yes and yeah like and just sort of, and... yeah mm. and that thing of sort of talking about that to parents and especially with things like the cocoon babies where the baby's actually elevated they're almost like on, on a beanbag and things yeah just sort of it was like i saw somewhere and it was like oh god i hadn't thought of putting it so succinctly but it's that thing of yeah if they are elevated up and they're they're sort of heads lolling forward it's just that thing of you know pointing out to parents the strength in the neck is so poor that they could actually loll forward and kink their airway yeah um you know and i front of my family were kink better than block yeah i think it's slightly less threatening but at the same time yeah they know a kink stop obstructs yes um but it's a bit less scary a term and, you know, I had a visited twins who were both using the cocoon of babies. And, and albeit they were using them in the daytime, in full vision of parents. You know, yeah, they were in the same room and everything. Yeah. But just that thing. And it's that thing. It's so tricky with, with a twin's parent anyway, because it's like, I don't want to make your life Coping. harder. But yeah. 
Um, but you know that thing of me, I say, look, actually, and and because one of the babies had the head to the side slightly, I said, look, it would take a small movement, and that could then kink the airway, which would then cause yeah. problems with their breathing. They might not be able to lift the head up to move easy enough to to yeah. get that airway open again, yeah. and just sort of drop that thing in. And it's one. Of, I'm always very clear that I I can guide them, and I can point out the risks, but it is the onus is on them to then take those actions and things yeah of course and it's their decision at the end of the day it's their baby so ultimately it's their decision i think some of these um sleep aids it would be perhaps helpful to do a separate um recording on them and i know that there's been lots of um debate and controversy about them and i think i would quite like to do a bit of a deep dive down into the research and actually look at what the evidence base is what evidence do we actually have what evidence do we have that hasn't been commissioned by the sleep aid manufacturer um and what evidence do we have that's independent that we can hang our hat on almost yes um and so I'm going to give myself a little bit of homework to try and make that a priority for a future episode because I think there'll be lots of helpers Excellent. just listening to this who actually struggle with giving that advice on a day-to-day basis yeah. with parents. I know I do. Definitely. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But the resources we've talked about, the um, Lullaby Trust, uh, UNICEF and um, Infant, Infant Sleep Information, Sleep Information Source, Source document we will link to. Mm-hmm. And we'll also link to the article yeah. Um, about the, the research peas at all, yeah. and peas at all. Um, and so that would be really useful, especially if you are a student health visitor, if you're looking at tackling sleep in, in an essay or need a research article. Yeah, um, it's probably a really useful one to, to look at and to see. They do the whole Mann-Whitney tests yeah. and things as well. Okay. So uh, there's a bit of statistical analysis. Break there out to your get stats your... skills if you're oh, feeling yes. up to it. If if you have any, uh, I didn't really. I I, I kind of I, I pretended I had some to, to scoop through, <laughs> but I'm got sure. um, <laughs> higher and lower is about as far as I go. <laughs> Let me um, play your cards right. <laughs> yeah, and okay. just also if there are any other issues around sleep, yeah, we know it's a big topic, and we would love to do a few more on it. Yes, um, and so please do let us know. Um, both sleep problems and sleep solutions um so you can get hold of us in all the normal ways on twitter at i am a hv on facebook i am a health visitor or you can get us um by email as well I am a health visitor at gmail.com um and we'd love to hear from you with your stories and experiences about safe sleeping conversations you've had with parents what works what doesn't work and also about different um, sleep at different ages perhaps sleep problems that you've come across in yeah. practice and solutions so any of yeah. those things we really want to hear from you for future episodes and also if there's any useful tools regarding assessing sleep um, I always wish I'd taken a copy but I know I don't know if you did because I know we trained in the same borough mm. um, but they they did the uh, some of our um, early intervention health visitors would do sleep easy clinics Yes. And they had an amazing document that they would use as ah. basis of assessment for families when they were first coming into the clinic. Oh, okay. Um, and it was so thorough. And I really wish I'd got a copy of it um, to use because it is very interesting how in-depth it goes and how many other things impact upon that sleep assessment, that advice that you're giving and things. That's fascinating. Um, 
so yeah if you have anything useful that you use then do do let us know i know often i think with sleep things like solihull method gets mentioned yes um but the trouble is unless you've actually done the solihull training and your trust is aligned to the solihull method you can't find anything else out about it (laughs) i've tried i've tried i get a very interesting page about how uh, how good the solihull method is but none of the neat (laughs) none of the actual resources yeah yeah that's the problem with these trademarked kind of approaches but yeah if you've got something useful then we want to hear from you as ever and any comments or things you'd like to add to this conversation for future episodes then please let us know if you think there's a glaring omission something we should have talked about let us know and please do um rate us and subscribe and um let us know how we're doing yeah, um, we are available obviously you're listening to this so you found us somewhere um <laughs> i know we know itunes is obviously the most popular thing but i know on um it, we're, we're available on any of the the podcasting platforms yeah so if your colleagues have got android phones and are saying we'd love to listen but don't know how then um, please just tell them to look us up on whatever podcast platform they have. Um, we go out on SoundCloud as well, so you can even use like a desktop computer and find us on there. Yeah, or well, tell us to tweet us, um, tell them to tweet us or Facebook us, um, and we can walk them through the steps. It's very easy to set up, or you can if you've done it yeah. already. <laughs> yeah. Okay, look forward to uh, speaking to you all again soon and take care in the meantime. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Bye.